Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. God is doing in them, and they will teach their children, and then their children will teach their children, and their children will teach their children. It's this principle of transferring what I know to those that are behind me. Listen, church, today, what I want us to understand is I believe we have a responsibility from the youngest in the room to the oldest in the room. We have a responsibility to make sure that the generation behind us wins. We gotta make sure that the generation behind us does not stay there, but that we pull them along with us, that they understand what this life is about, they understand what this faith is about, that they find God and they don't just see what he's doing, but they understand who he is. We have a responsibility for that. And Moses introduces this principle and he says, hey nation, I need, you to, I need you to pay attention, I need you to understand because we're not just going to leave them there. When I leave, I can't just leave you here, I gotta leave something with you so that you understand how God works. It's the principle of God. We transfer what we know. We help the generation behind us win. Now we're really familiar with these things in everyday life. I mean, this principle has been around for a long time, started with the nation of Israel, and, and we see it in, in, in work all the time in our everyday lives. Okay, I, I was thinking about when I was a kid. How many adults in here wish you were still a kid? Anybody wish you were still a kid? Isn't being a kid awesome? Don't you wish you had summertime vacation again? You could just stay home, go to sleep over at your friend's house, stay up till three in the morning. You're eating pizza, drinking soda, popcorn, candy. You don't have to go to the gym for three hours the next day because calories don't matter when you're a kid. It's awesome. Being a kid's amazing. I was thinking about my childhood, and I had an awesome childhood, man. I loved being a kid. My, my, my family, we were a baseball family growing up. Played a lot of baseball. And I remember, I specifically remember five, being five years old and playing t-ball. And I, I remember, like, being on a pro t-ball team. Like, it was weird. Like, at five years old, I was on a professional t-ball team. We were good. Everybody on my team knew how to play. Everybody knew how to catch. Everybody knew how to throw. Everybody knew how to hit. It was amazing. We were really good. We were sponsored and everything. It was really cool. But apparently, I was misremembering because now that I'm older, I've got nephews that play t-ball. I've got friends that have kids that play t-ball, and I've gone and watched them. And if you've ever watched a bunch of five-year-olds running around on a field with the same outfit on, it's a nightmare, I mean, these poor coats, it's like herding cats. It's like, what are you doing? I, I went to one of these games, and it was hilarious to watch. I mean, the first inning was kind of entertaining. After that, I was like, oh, my gosh. But the first inning was funny because you've got three kids on the team who know what they're doing. They're in ready position. They're out there, hey, batter, batter, they're ready to go. The rest of them, good luck. I mean, there's a little Johnny in right field, and everyone else is He's facing this way, and they're ready to go. They're paying attention. Little Johnny got his back to the game. He's sitting down. His glove is 10 feet that way, and he's, pick, he's picking flowers. He's picking flowers. And the parents are losing their mind. Coach is sprinting out there. He's getting the glove. Johnny, turn this way. And Johnny's like, well, I don't, I don't know what's going on. What? Little Johnny's over there, but then you got little Jimmy in left field. And little Jimmy, I love little Jimmy. Little Jimmy is my favorite because little Jimmy pays attention. Like he's into the game. He's watching, but little Jimmy can't stand still. So in between plays, little Jimmy spins. Whoosh, whoosh. You've seen that kid. 
Little Jimmy, man, don't you wish you lived a little bit more like little Jimmy? I love him. He's amazing. Love little Jimmy. And then, then something crazy happens. The ball is hit into play. And every kid, it doesn't matter where they're all in the field, outfield to infield, they all run to the ball. There's a dog pile for the ball. One kid pops up with it, starts chasing the runner because those kids don't stop. They just keep going. There's eight other kids standing there not knowing what to do. Five of them are crying because they didn't get the ball. And I'm like, this is terrible. And I just kept thinking, my poor parents. Because after like the initial like, that's cute, that's funny, it's like, this is brutal, man. Oh my gosh, when is this over? Holy cow. But there's a group of people with each t-ball team. Group of people that's responsible to make sure that they understand that each kid understands what they're doing, why they're doing it, where they need to go, how they need to play. And they teach them how to win at the game that they love. This group of people, of course, are the coaches. And if you notice, these coaches, they show up every game. They show up every practice. And I remember, I remember t-ball practice. And I remember there was one time, every single, every single practice, and it was my favorite time because coach would call us over one at a time. And he would sit down on his bucket, and he would have a, a bucket of balls next to him. And he would take the ball, and he would, he would tee it up for us. He would tee up the ball, and he would watch us as we stood there, and, and we, would, we would hit the ball. And then he would, he would give us feedback. And listen, these coaches, they're not trained to be coaches. They didn't go to school to be coaches. So how do they know what to do? Well, they've had an experience in this game. They played before. And so what they do is, is they actually take what they know and they transfer it to a bunch of five-year-olds to help them understand how to play the game that they love. They're understanding, they're teaching them the fundamentals. They're teaching them the correct stance. They're teaching them how far they need to be away. They're teaching them where to hit the baseball. They're teaching them how to win at the game that they love. I love this. This transfer principle, we see it all the time in everyday acts, but we forget about it in the church. And church, here's what I want you to understand today. This is what I want you to get. I believe with all of my heart that it's our job, if it's our job to help the next generation win, then you and I have a responsibility with every, every single day. We have to be so intentional with this, with every moment that we have to be teeing up Jesus for the next generation. Because I believe that there is no better way for the next generation to win than to tee up Jesus for him. There's no better life that you can live than a life that is following after Jesus. To tee up the next generation. So if you and I are going to tee up the next generation, if you and I are going to help the next generation win, you and I have to understand how to do that. So how do we help the next generation win? What do we do? Well, the mission here for all the next generation ministries here at Creekwood is to lead students and kids to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, I love, I love that mission statement. I love it, and, and listen, there's a lot of people out there that think that's a, great, that's a great sentence right there. There's a lot of parents that I'm sure you're sitting here, you're like, that just makes me feel good. Like, oh man, th- th- I like that. But did we put that down there just because we want to make some parents feel good? No, we didn't. We were really intentional about the wording there. 
One of my favorite things about this, yes, we want to create fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's really important. But what I love about this mission statement is the very beginning. The, very fir- the first two words say to lead. And I love the word to lead. I love lead because lead requires something of us. It requires us to understand this principle of transfer, this understand how God works, why he does what he does, to understand the relationship that you and I are called to have with those that are behind us. Lead requires something of us. It requires us to be intentional. It requires us to get in their space. It requires us to show up. It requires us to understand them a little bit more. It requires us to pull them to a place that we are, to know who God is, why he does what he does. So if you and I are going to lead the next generation to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, we need to have a good understanding of what lead means. What does lead mean? What is leadership? John Maxwell, who's a just guru in leadership, I mean, the guy's written more leadership books than, than most people have lived years in their life. I mean, just ridiculous how many books this guy's written on leadership. He defines leadership as simply influence. Leadership is influence. Well, if leadership is influence, then you and I, most people have a, a difficulty leading people because we have a poor understanding of what influence is. Most people understand influence in two ways. The first way, we think we have influence because we have power. We think we have influence because we have power. Now, most of us, you know, understand this concept. Think back when you were in school. You were walking the halls, you were hanging out with your friends, and if the principal turned the corner, you immediately stopped what you were doing and held your breath. (gasps) Hey, hey, principal, just going to class. They had power over you, and you were like, I gotta make sure I do what what I'm doing right. If you're a parent in here, you understand power. Because if you have a three-year-old that tells you no, you're like, "Uh, excuse me? Uh, You're going to do this because I'm your parent. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. And if they don't, you take power to a whole new leather level. You pick them up. You take them to where you want them to go, and you watch them do it. We, we think we have influence because we have power. Well, here's the thing. At three years old, that may work. Try that with a 16-year-old. See how it goes. I'm not saying they shouldn't listen to you. You should honor your father and mother. But man, that kind of influence, it doesn't go very far. It doesn't go very far. So we think we have influence because we have power. That's the first one. The second one is we think we have influence because we have authority. We think we have influence because of the title that we've been given, because of the success that we've experienced. We think we have influence because of the, the advice that people ask us. We have a title. We have, we have a degree. We have, we have all these things. Again, the next generation does not care. They don't care if you've written a thousand parenting books. If they're your kid, you have no authority. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about, mom. You don't know what you're talking about, dad. <laughs> I'm 16. I'm smart. Again, this kind of influence doesn't go very far. So if we're going to lead the next generation, and if leadership is really influence, we've got to understand what influence is, and there's a third type of influence. And again, this kind of influence comes from God. This kind of influence can be developed. 
You can have influence. The third type of influence is you can have influence because you have trust with someone. You have a relationship with them. This kind of influence is different. This kind of influence is counterintuitive. This kind of influence is huge. This kind of influence will go further. This kind of influence will transcend age gaps. This kind of influence is big. But if you and I are going to have this kind of influence, if we're going to have this kind of, uh, of leadership, if we're going to be able to pull the next generation along and help them win, if we're going to be teeing it up for them, if we're going to tee it up for the next generation, we've got to have one key ingredient with this kind of influence. Without this key ingredient, with this kind of influence, this kind of influence won't go very far. In fact, I think we'll revert back to having influence with power or authority. We won't have trust. This key ingredient, I think, not only will help bridge age gaps, I think this key ingredient could actually help resolve some of the racial tension in our country. I think this key ingredient could actually resolve some of the political divide in our country. It it could help solve some of the, the injustice in the world and the relational imbalances that are happening in our world right now. If we will start to understand this kind, this key ingredient to influence, this key ingredient to influence is this word called empathy. Empathy. The good news about empathy is empathy can be developed. I love what Reggie Joyner says about empathy. He defines empathy as this. Empathy is the ability to press pause on your own thoughts and feelings long enough to explore someone else's thoughts and feelings. To press pause on the things that are going on with me long enough to explore what's going on with someone else. Church, listen, I believe we were made for three types of relationships. You and I were designed, we were wired to have three types of relationships. We were designed to have a relationship with those that were older than us. We were designed to have a relationship with those that are the same age as us. We were designed to have a relationship with those that are younger than us. About 80 to 90 years ago, this somewhat new phenomenon hit the world, this thing called adolescence. Adolescence, at its core, is simply the imbalance of your relationships, It means that I don't care about anyone else except those that are on the same level as me, the same age as me, the encouragement that I get from my peers. That's all that matters to me. It's an imbalance. I don't care about those that are older. I don't care about those that are younger. And here's the thing. Most experts believe that over 75% of people, once they hit adolescence, once they hit this stage of their life, they never ever fully graduate from this imbalance of their relationships. They're always just seeking the approval of those that are the same age. Most of us think adolescence is something between the ages of 12 and 25. The truth is we carry some of this with us because we never fully get this. So here's the thing, what's amazing about this transfer principle, this thing that God set up, he's a pretty smart guy. He saw this coming. He knew this was coming. If you and I are going to lead, if you and I are going to have influence in the generation behind us, we're going to tee it up for them. You and I have to graduate from adolescence. We have to have influence. We have to develop empathy. When we develop empathy, it helps us get out of this. So how do we develop empathy? How do we develop empathy? We're going to talk about two ways to develop empathy today. 
The first way that we can develop empathy is we have to pause to imagine. Pause to imagine. Did you know we are the only species on this earth that has the ability to imagine what it's like in someone else's shoes? We're the only ones. There's no other species on this earth that can do that. We have this ability to empathize with someone. But here's what I... Here's what I'm learning about empathy is that there is a story running in the background of every person that you come in contact with. There's a story. There's a background. There's something going on. And here's the thing. If we don't take time, if we don't pause to imagine what's going on, if we don't understand the story happening in the background, then sometimes we fail to have influence in that life. When... When we first started here, we, we just moved into the building. It was like seven years ago. I was 22. Um, I was helping lead our, our, our student ministry then. Pastor Kendall was here helping me. Um, we, we were brand new. We didn't, even, we didn't know what we were doing. I, I'm serious. We had no idea. We thought, let's just serve pizza and like read something from the Bible. That's how we lead a youth group. That's what we thought. It was crazy. We didn't know what we were doing. Well, kids started showing up, teenagers started showing up, and we were like, this is awesome, this is so cool. We had no idea what we were doing. And I remember there was this one girl that would show up every week. This girl was different than a lot of the girls that were showing up. This girl would show up, and she was wearing things that were a little bit more revealing than most of us would be comfortable with. The only people she wanted to talk to were guys. She was just drawn to them, just always with a dude. We come to find out she, she was failing in school. There were some, some bad things happening, and she was becoming a disruption in our youth group. It was hard to do anything because she was just so disruptive. In church, I got to the place where I was just finally like, let's just kick her out. Like, let's just cut the ties. Let's, let's kick her out. Like, she's, just a, she's a problem. She's hurting everyone else. Let's just kick her out. I didn't know what I was doing. We had a leader we had a female leader that was leading with us in our student ministry at that time, and she just kind of took to this girl. One night, there was this breakthrough moment where they were having this conversation, and the conversation turns, and it gets real. Because here's the thing, when you fight to have a voice in the next generation's life, every once in a while, they open up to you. She began to tell this leader that five years before Her mom, who was a drug addict, left them, just left. Hadn't heard from her in five years. She's a single kid, and she she lives at home with her dad, but her dad's never home because her dad's always working. So her dad leaves her money, and she can kind of do whatever she wants. In fact, she lived really close to the church, so she was just walking up here every Wednesday to hang out. I wanted to kick her out. Because I didn't fully understand the story that was running in the background. I didn't take a chance to pause to imagine. And I'm so grateful that this leader fought to have a voice in her life, fought to have a relationship, fought to have this kind of influence. Because as soon as we started to understand the story that was happening in the background of this girl's life, we understood, oh my gosh, she's looking for attention. No wonder she's dressing the way that she is and she's looking for the the connections that she has. This girl just needs love. We wanted to kick her out. God began to teach me what empathy looked like through a 14-year-old girl. Church, there's a story running in the background of every person that we meet. And the truth is, most of us, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't know what it is. 
But when we pause to imagine, would it change things? Would it change the influence that we have? I mean, what, what would happen? What would happen if, if those of us who were white would pause to imagine before we decided how people of other races viewed authority? What would happen if we paused to imagine we built a relationship with someone of another race? Would it change how we felt? What would happen if those of us who were Republicans would pause to imagine before we decided to post something on Facebook and out of anger and out of what we feel is right? What would happen if we paused to imagine and we developed a relationship with someone who was a Democrat? Would it change what we posted? Would it change what we said? And what would happen if those of us who were old, let me put it another way. What would happen if those of us who were seasoned But pause to imagine before we made a snap judgment on the entitled leadership of the next generation or the kids coming up behind us. What would happen if we paused to imagine, understood the story that's running in the background? Would it change how we viewed them? Would it change the relationship that we had with them? See, most of us, we're scared to have this kind of influence. We're scared to let empathy develop in us because we're think, we think all oh, these feelings, the, 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 this, you know, the sappy stuff, this empathy that we, we're talking about here, this could compromise the truth. My feelings could get in, way, in the way of the truth. Listen, empathy does not compromise the truth. You know what compromises the truth? Arrogance. Not taking time to pause to imagine the, the story running in the background. That's what compromises the truth. Empathy actually enhances the truth. And so parents, parents, listen, that's why it's so important for you to understand this concept. Because as your kids go from phase to phase to phase to phase, and, and you're watching them do things, and you're like, what is going on? And you make snap judgment based on what you observe, but not on what you know, what you've learned, or what you've asked. And so you're, you're, you're making these judgments, and you're off a little bit. It's important to understand what's going on in the background. So let's just take a three-year-old, for example, and you're like, Matt, how do we empathize with a three-year-old? I don't remember what it was like to be three. No one does. You're right. That's why we have to rely on the experts. Did you know that the average three-year-old takes 75 steps per minute more than the average adult? That's a lot of steps. Their Fitbits would be going crazy, man. You trying to win a Fitbit war? Put it on your three-year-old. You win. (laughs) Boom. So application, when a three-year-old comes up to you and says, hold me, they're not being lazy. They're tired. They've been working 75 times harder than you. It's important to understand the story in the background. Or I love it. A parent comes up to me and says, man, man, I'm grounding my kid. So irresponsible. Okay, well, what's going on? They're just so irresponsible. I keep telling them they won't do it. Okay, well, how old are they? Like 12, okay, so like sixth grade? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. Did you know between the ages of 11 and 13, the average 11 and 13-year-old will lose a third of their cerebral cortex? The prefrontal cortex is developing in this stage, and there's a process called pruning. And this prefrontal cortex is responsible for things like memory, judgment, making good decisions, So here we go. When you start thinking about your sixth grader, haven't I told you? Don't you know the truth is they did, now they don't. They're not being irresponsible. They're losing their minds. So here we go, application. 
empathy. Instead of going, haven't I told you? Influence this kind of way where we build trust and we have empathy looks like this. Hey, I'm going to lean in. How can I help? How can I help you? I get it. You're having a hard time remembering this. I get it. You got a lot going on. Man, your brain's all over the place. I get it. How can I help you? We lean in. Or what about, what about high schoolers? Most of us in here, we remember what it was like to be in high school. Most of us, we got like memories flooding back. Some of you in here, you put your Letterman jacket on, you put on Top Gun, sit on the couch, and you're like, yeah. It's the glory days for you. Song comes on on the radio. You got, you got memories flooding back. And so most of us were like, I can relate to a high schooler. I remember what it was like to be in high school back in 2003 or 1993 or 1983. Or maybe it was too long to remember what it was like to be in high school. See, we think because we remember what it was like for us to be in high school that we can relate. But here's the thing, the game has changed. 92% of high schoolers are online daily. 73% of them have their own smartphone. So if you're gonna have influence with the next generation, if you're going to tee it up for a high schooler, you've gotta understand a little bit about technology. See, once we understand the, the story in the background, when we pause to imagine, when we develop this kind of influence, it changes things. Got to pause to imagine. The second way that we develop empathy is we've got to pause to interact. We've got to actually show up. We've got to get involved in their life. I think it's really important for us to understand the difference between compassion and empathy in this part. I love what Brene Brown says about compassion versus empathy. She says this, that if, if you walked up on a hole, a giant hole in the ground, there was a person in the hole, that compassion would lead you to see that person in the hole, go, oh man, they look hungry. Go get a sandwich, give them a sandwich and say, I see you're hungry, here's a sandwich. You supply a need. That's compassion. Empathy, though, looks a little bit different. Empathy, if you walked up on this person in the hole, you would crawl down in the hole, you would sit with them in the hole and feel what they feel. Compassion supplies a need, empathy feels a need. It's different. It's a little bit different. So if you and I are going to have this kind of influence, if we're going to have this kind of relationship with the next generation, if we're gonna help them win, we've gotta pause to interact, which means we've gotta show up, we've gotta get involved, we're gonna have to serve them. See, this kind of influence is counterintuitive that way. It's gonna require you to press pause in your own thoughts and feelings long enough to imagine what's going on with them. Well, that's great. That's cool, but where, where do we get this kind of model? Where do we get this kind of influence from? I'm glad you asked. For those of us that are Christians here in this room, you, you know where I'm going with this because we have the greatest example of this kind of influence and empathy in our life. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, he pressed pause on his deity. He pressed pause on his lordship. He came to earth and he walked where we walked and he lived where we lived so that you and I would understand that he knew what it was like. Why, why did he do that? Why, why, why would he do that? Man, if, 
Why, why, would, why would Jesus decide to do that? Because he wanted a different kind of relationship with us. I love what Hebrews 4.15 says. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Why did Jesus do that? If there was anybody that could flex his influence because of power or flex his influence because of authority, it was Jesus Christ. But he didn't lead that way. He didn't choose to have influence that way because it's not the best kind. He saw a people and he saw a potential. And he said, I, I'm going to help them win. I'm going to tee it up for them. He decided to come down to this earth and have a different kind of relationship with us. Decided to pause to imagine and pause to interact. Decided to serve. Church, I want you to know if, you're go- if we're going to lead the next generation, we're going to help them win. We've got to serve them. We've got to love them more than we love ourselves. It's a way of God, this principle of transferring. It's how he works. If we're going to help them discover their purpose, we've got to bring them along with us. When I first started here at Creekwood, we were, we were setting up church in the high school, Mansfield High School, right across the street. And I remember my first three weeks at Creekwood, I just showed up and I was like, man, I, I love this place. I love these people. I love what God is doing here. And I remember I, I went to Pastor Stephen and I said, Pastor Stephen, I love this. What can I do to help? I want to get involved. I want to, I want to be a part of this. What can I do? And I'm thinking, I'm going to Bible college to be a youth pastor. I, I know how to play the guitar. Maybe I could be on the worship team. Maybe I could, you know, lead the youth group. They didn't have a youth group. Maybe I could do that. That's not what he said. He said, Matt, we need, we need help in kids. And I was like, say that again. He said, we need help in kids' church. And I'm like, kids' church? Like kindergarten to fifth grade kids' church? Because that's different than like teenagers. Like those kids, like they watch puppet shows and stuff. I don't like puppets. He's like, yeah, we need help in kids' church. I was like, all right. I don't like kids. But I'll do it. So I went and found Rochelle Henderson, who is our, our kids' director at the time. And I said, hey, Rochelle, whatever I can do, I, I just want to help. She said, Matt, we need somebody to help us uh, set up kids' church every morning. And we need somebody to run our sound. I said, cool, I'll do it. I'll, I'll show up. And so I showed up every Sunday morning and I began to do it. And in between services, these kids, man, they were just hanging out. And I remember there's about 20 of them. And I'm like, I don't want to just sit here like, you know, playing music, making sure. So I, I would get out and I would just hang out with them. And I, I started kicking a ball with one of them or I, I was talking to them about school. What they eat at lunch? What movies are they watching? I just, I just, I was just building a relationship with them. I didn't think I was doing anything special. And then Rochelle was like, hey, why don't you lead a small group? I'm like, okay, I'll lead a small group. And so I began to lead this small group. And through the the connection that I had with these kids from the, the, the time that I just spent with them learning their names, we were in this small group and these kids began to open up and ask me questions. And I'm like, I I don't know the answer to those questions. I'm like, but I'll, I'll get back to you. And so I would go home, I would go back to school to Bible college, and I would study the Bible. I didn't do that before I started serving. It's weird, but I didn't. But these kids began pulling things out of me that I didn't even know was there. And I began learning about God in a way that I'd never learned about before because here's the deal, here's the reward. When you establish a habit of showing up for the next generation, it changes you more than it changes them. 
And I remember this dad came to me one day and he said, Matt, I, I, want, I want to tell you something. My son wants to be just like you. And I was like, what? That's a lot of pressure, man. Why would he want to be like me? Why would, why would he want to be like me? Because I misunderstood influence. I thought, I don't have any power. I don't have any authority. I don't, I'm not a pastor here. I'm just serving. I'm in college. I don't know. I don't even know most things about the Bible yet. Why would he want to be like me? And in that moment, church, God was, I didn't even realize it, but he was helping me understand this principle of transfer right here. Helping me understand how he works how we help the next generation, how we tee up Jesus for them. I didn't have power, I didn't have authority. I had relationship and I had Jesus. And guess what, that's enough. That's all you need. That's all you need. Guys, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor now. I don't even play video games. I don't even like them. How do I connect with teenagers? That don't even make sense. With man, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And if we'll begin to understand how God works and why he does what he does, we'll understand his purpose and how we fit into it, we will understand that if we're going to grow ourselves, if we're going to go to the next level ourselves, if, we're, if God's going to take us where we are going, gonna go, that we've gotta look behind us and we've gotta help the next generation win, we've gotta be teeing it up for them. So here's the truth. You come to church for a year or two, the services are going to become a little bit more routine for you. You're going to start to plateau. Maybe you've experienced this. Jesus isn't as vibrant. He's not as relevant. He's not as present as he was when you first started. You keep coming to church and you're like, what is it? I mean, maybe you've tried other churches and it's kind of the same thing. For a little bit, it's cool, but then it's like you fall back into this thing. You fall back into this routine. You fall back into this lull. You want to go to the next level with Jesus? You want to meet face-to-face with him again? You need to serve. Some of you haven't spoken to Jesus. You haven't talked. You haven't felt Jesus in a long time. And here's the deal. Jesus walks into this church every week. He's just a little bit different looking than most of us think. He walks in about three foot tall. And he's like this. And he's in kids' church. And they're giving him kids' cash. And he's buying candy. And he walks in at three foot tall every single week. And he's waiting. He's waiting to pull things out of you that you didn't know were there. Because when you establish a habit of showing up for the next generation, you grow more than they do. And here's what I learned, church, is I was teeing it up for kids of the next generation. As I was teeing it up for them, if I was teeing up Jesus, the Holy Spirit was teeing things up in my life. And I began to win. We have a responsibility to help the next generation win. This is a way of God. So church, here's my question for you, from the youngest to the oldest in this room. Who are you teeing it up for? Who are you showing up for? How are you helping the next generation win? What kind of of influence do you have? We're only one generation, the church is only one generation away from extinction. I'm gonna fight to make sure that that doesn't happen in ours. There's no better life, there's no better way to win at life than to have Jesus teed up for you. That's our responsibility. You gotta serve them, you gotta love them, 
got to pause, interact, and imagine. you got to tee it up. If you bow your heads with me today, God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you. I thank you that you never give up on us. I thank you that your, your word is alive and well and it challenges us. And Lord, I just pray that you would help each one of us understand this principle, God, that this would sink deep within us, God. This would become who we are, that we are people that, that looks behind us, that we are people who pull stuff out of, of others, that we tee it up for people around us, God. I pray that you would help us develop empathy and influence. You would help us learn more about who you are your purpose for our life and how we fit into that. God, I pray for the next generation. God, that Jesus, every single week, we would, we would, you would help us tee it up for them. That they would find life and they would find it more abundantly because of who you are, who you've created them to be. God, we love you. I pray that you would use us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.